This morning we're reading from God's word in Acts 21, 17 through 26. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Paul. <clears throat> I said it in first service, Paula, and I'm going to say it again so everyone here knows. When you read the text, I feel like a kindergartner on the rug. She just reads it so. And what will we do? I'm like, I don't know. What are we going to do? All right, I'm preaching this. I should know. Um, anyway, thank you for reading. Uh, well, if I don't know you, my name's Sean. Good morning again. Um, I'm the lead pastor, the teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria, and um, maybe you don't know about Redemption Peoria. Redemption Peoria is actually part of Redemption Church, which is 10 different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Um, We're lead uh, pastor-led and elder-led at each congregation, and you might have questions about what all that looks like. I'll be in the lobby afterwards over by the snack machine, and um, yeah, come up, say hi, uh, maybe ask some questions if you have, you know, if you have them to to walk through some of that stuff. Um, I only have... Really quickly, uh, two quick things for you um, in regards to announcements. Last week when I got up here, I explained that as the fall comes and, and more people are coming, kind of settling in from traveling in the summer and uh, school's getting going, uh, you're, you might be considering Redemption Peoria to kind of be your home and your place where you want to go on Sundays. And, and I came up and I said, the reason that's important for you to even recognize consciously is to know that a big part of going to church is not just showing up going to church. Uh, something that uh, we just use with our leaders and some of even the communities is uh, guy, uh, Francis Chan, he talks about it's the difference between going to a movie theater and going to the gym, right? When you go to a movie theater, you're there to watch, be entertained. When you go to a gym, you're there to participate. You're, you should be walking away tired, right? And so um, what we want you to know is last week we laid out what children's ministry is and where we're at. And man, summer got more than enough volunteers. Now, maybe you're in here and you're going, well, I don't like kids. And that's fine. Jesus will deal with you because he has some words about that. But, but. 
Um, there are other ways for you to serve, right? So if you don't know, we're a mobile church, guys. Centennial isn't like, we don't just leave this stuff set up all week. We have to set up every single Sunday morning. People are getting here at 6.30, 7 a.m. People are staying till 1, 1.30 in the afternoon. And so if you, I know you've got lunch plans or whatever it is, I'm not just asking you to jump in today. I'm asking you, maybe as you consider going into the fall, go, yeah, I have two arms, two legs, I can do this. I, I can push around a desk. I can set up a pole and, and pipe and drape and do all of that. That would be an easy thing for me to maybe come early on Sunday, once a month, every other week, or stay late once a month, every other week. You're here in second service. So people will stay afterwards and, and clean up. And I, I hear me, I'm not asking for you just to do it today. That would be great, right? But that's not a win. I'm saying, if you call this place your home, then let's work out here. Let's be tired when we leave. Let's do this together. Um, Because it's definitely not easy. We can't have the Macklins and Lance and John and Jeff do it every single week on their own. I mean, these guys are getting tired. And so it would be a lot easier if we all did this together. So we're going to break that 80-20 rule for whatever that's worth. The other thing is, um, I want you guys to know the four weeks uh, that we're in right now, preaching-wise, so you can kind of be aware of these these, uh, next couple weeks that are coming up. Uh, Today, we're going to cover two whole chapters in the Bible. Paula just read uh, a part of it. We're going to read two chapters, which I'll get to in a second. And then in three weeks, we're going to cover two whole chapters. So we're going to get through 24, uh, chapter 24 of the book of Acts in those two weeks. But next week, we are going to take a break from Acts for two weeks. And the reason why is, again, as we're settling in, we... um, Man, we want to put in front of you where we're at. We want to talk through our vision, our mission. We recognize that if you were here in the beginning of the year, my leave of absence, uh, things within our seas have to be tightened up. We have some staff changes that we're excited to tell you guys about. So all that stuff's going to be put in front of you so you know where we are next week. Um, and I'm really excited. So we've really spent a lot of time, I mean, and we went on a retreat together as elders. We spent a couple of days just locked in a room trying to ask the question, God, what are you calling just us to do? We feel like God's moving in the West Valley and we're not the answer. There's a lot of good churches who are doing some awesome things that I love and become really good friends with. So we're sitting there going, well, then what have you called us to do? Like, what are we supposed to do, God? And we feel like we have some answers uh, for that. So we want to help you with that. And then the following week, um, after next week, we're going to do an RC Sunday. We get up every single week and tell you to jump into Redemption Communities. Well, why? Why why do we talk about it? How do we want to do that moving forward? All that stuff. As our church grows, we do not want anyone to be lost in uh, the crowd at all. We want you to know that life really happens in living rooms. And so we'll continue to push, push you in that direction. Cool? All right. Well, let's jump in. Acts chapter 21. Uh, like I said, we're going to go through two whole chapters, which is a lot. What I want you to recognize in this is as we're going to, we're going to start in verse one. Um, imagine like, think back in a time where you were explaining your life to someone like, yeah, this was my life. You're going to use big, broad terms, right? But then imagine also, uh, when you're talking to your spouse or a friend uh, about a fight you just recently had, you're going to break down like words they said. Right? And so when we're going over a narrative, specifically two whole chapters, we're not going to be able to dive into every single verse. It's called exegetically. We believe going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter is the way to go. But because it's a narrative, it's more like reading like a nonfiction book and not a love letter. Right? So next year, in 2018, we're going to spend 40 weeks in the book of Ephesians. 40 weeks in, in six chapters. And we're covering two chapters right now in one Sunday. Right? So um, not in Ephesians, but in Acts. And so just understand it's going it's to be a little faster if you're new, and I'll catch you up if you haven't been here uh, in, in a while so you kind of know where we are in the general scope of Acts. Um, so let's do it. Verse 1, chapter 21, it says this, And when we, that's an important we, it's Luke who appears. He's the one writing the book of Acts. He's with Paul and, and all his cronies. Had parted uh, from them and set sail. We came by a, uh, by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes. Uh, and from there to uh, Patara. Uh, let's put up that map real quick. I want you guys to look at this as we're going to read a bunch of these names that none of us can pronounce. Um, so what 
you've noticed is, is kind of this general idea of Paul traveling in the same vicinity if you're new. And if you are new, this, these lines signify Paul's third missionary journey. Um, I want you to notice it starts with Antioch, and that's important, that star in the right corner. The reason that's important is because his missionary journeys have always started from there, and they've also ended there, the two previous journeys. But this time, on his third journey, we've been tracking along, going all through this, through parts of Asia, and coming down, and now we're not going to end in Antioch. We're going to actually end in Jerusalem, which is huge because it's Paul's final missionary journey. And this is chapters 21 and 22 are a big change in the book of Acts. We're going into really the, the, the you know, home run last kind of marches into to home plate. We're going to start to finish this out. And these last years are spent kind of because Paul doesn't go back to Antioch, he goes back into Jerusalem. And so that's what's going on with all that. So he goes uh, um, through this. He continues to travel. Let me pick it up in verse four. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the spirit, they were telling Paul, not to go on to Jerusalem. If you remember, here's Paul before last week, who's essentially been, been going like rolling through places, riots. And we'll talk about all that in a minute, but he's essentially declared this idea of, Hey, I want you to know that no matter what the course that God sets in front of me, I'm going to pursue it. And I recognize I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem and I recognize in going to Jerusalem, imprisonment and affliction await me. I know that to be true. And so here are the disciples going, don't go, don't go. Um, so he continues to, uh, to go because he's stubborn. But when our days there uh, had ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the, on the bench and prayed, verse 6, uh, and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home, verse 7. And when he had finished the voyage from Tyre, uh, we arrived in Ptolemias, uh, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. So Paul and his crew continue to travel. Uh, he ends up uh, joining up with Philip, who's one of the seven. If you remember the book of Acts, the apostles were overwhelmed with all that's going on, so they appointed seven people. One of those people, Stephen, was actually stoned to death, killed by rocks, and Philip is one of those, also one of those seven. So they meet up with Stephen, who's there, and they travel. So he has four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And then he goes on after some days traveling towards Jerusalem. But, but here's what I want you to know. Paul in his travels is again reminded of what we were reminded about last week. Okay? And that's got to be an important foundation for us going into this week because Paul's reminded by this prophet Agabus. This prophet Agabus takes off Paul's belt and Paul's like, what are you doing? He ties his hands and his feet and he goes, this is what's going to happen to the man who owns this belt, this prophetic word to Paul. Now, Paul's going, what are you doing? Why are you crying about this? Why, why? I know what's coming. I, I've told you. And if you weren't here last week, what we tried to put on the table was this idea that Paul has a course set before him from Jesus Christ. And he doesn't care. W whatever that is, whatever cost is there, if that meant imprisonment for 25 years, not seeing your kids, not seeing your spouse, not seeing your friends, the question on the table was last week, are you still in? Remove the self-help crap. Remove the false promises. Are you in? 
if imprisonment and affliction awaited you. Now the rubber's going to meet the road for Paul because this is what we find. He arrives into Jerusalem and he's been talking big game. So let's see if he's there. So this is what it says in verse 17. Uh, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. When we had come to Jerusalem is Luke's, it may seem real subtle, but it's Luke saying in that moment in verse 17, I'm going to spend the rest of my time because of him going to Jerusalem. He's going to spend a uh, non-proportionate amount of time with Paul in Jerusalem as, as he goes in this way. So he finally gets there. I know what's awaiting for me, imprisonment, affliction. So there's Paul. He arrives in Jerusalem. So here we go. Verse 18. On the following day, Paul went in with uh, us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that had, do, had been done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews and those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our custom. So Paul makes it to Jerusalem, which is the hub for Judaism, but also at this time, the hub for Christianity. And as he rolls into Jerusalem, he meets with James and all the other elders there. And he goes, you guys, I got to tell you what's been going on in that map. I, every time I'm arriving in a city, there was a riot at one point. At one time, I was blowing my nose with a handkerchief. Someone pulled it from me and went and healed people with it. This is crazy. Like, so one by one, he's telling them all that God has done. This is crazy. And James, yes. The elders are like, yes. And then James goes, now, that's awesome, Paul. We have a problem, though. Here's the problem. Um, there's been Jews who've been hearing about what you're doing, all the things that you're doing, and, and there's rumors about you telling the Jews who are coming to Christianity. These are believers, by the way. Look at, again, at the passage, as you can see there. Um, you see, brothers, how many thousands, uh, uh, I'm sorry, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. There's these believing Messianic Jews who, who now are, are following Christ. They're zealous for the law, and they don't like what you're doing. They don't like it at all. So it goes on to say this in verse 22. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they might shave their heads. That all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also, uh, also live in observance of the law. And then he goes on to explain the letter that we spent a couple months ago about the letter to the Gentiles. But here's what James says. So what are we supposed to do with these Jews who don't like what you're doing? They're, they're afraid that you're, you're trying to break down all that they know about Judaism. So, so here's the example that I can give you. Um, hey, bro, um, Everyone keeps hearing that you're going to the bars and you're getting slammed, like just hammered every time you go to the bar. And you're going, man, I, I'm not. I'm going there and I'm talking to people at Jesus. I'm not, I'm not even drinking, to be honest with you. That's fine, Paul, but why don't we do me a solid, rem, just refrain from the bar for a little bit. So this is kind of this idea of the Jews don't like what you're doing. So we've got four men. Um, they're in this vow period. If you know anything about a Nazarene vow, it has to do with hair and what they can eat, what they can drink. Do us a solid. Take them to the synagogue. Walk them through the purifying rituals that are supposed to be on. And people will go, oh, no, no, he's good. He's not going to the bar and get drunk. Uh, we, we see. So they're worried. So, so he puts in place kind of these uh, protection. James brings up this idea to, to protect Paul so the Jews won't hate him as much which obviously is going to fail. Um, so verse 26, then Paul took the man and the next day and he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice that uh, when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Verse 27, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people on the law in this place. Moreover, 
He even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled the holy place. Now listen to this caveat. For they had previously seen Trophimus and uh, uh, Ephesian uh, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Uh, Then the, the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. So Paul does what James asks. Okay, fine. That's fine. I'll I'll take these men. I'll go through the purification process. The purification process, seven days, is almost complete. Earlier that day, Paul is not with those men. He's actually walking through Jerusalem with two other men. And what's crazy is there's going to be this stirring up of this crowd, this riot going on, and it's all because of mistaken identity. These Jews see Paul walking with these two men who haven't been going through the purification process, and and they think that's who Paul brought into the temple. They don't know that Paul brought these other guys into the temple who who have been going through this purification process. So they're they're stirring up the crowd. Look, they, they even brought these guys in. This is blasphemous. This is not okay. Okay, so here's what we find. Verse 31, and they were seeking to kill him. Word came to the uh, tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was confused. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested and ordered him to be bound with two chains, the metal, not the wrapper. He inquired uh, who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd, that was too easy. I'm sorry. I use it in first service, so it feels real cheap. I apologize. Um, <laughs> Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some in the other, some another. Uh, and, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he had come into the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, uh, crying out, away with him. So they grab Paul in the synagogue because of, of, of this mistaken identity. They pull him out, and it causes this big uproar. Well, remember, Jerusalem's still under Roman law. And so the, the Romans roll in. The tribune comes in and goes, what's going on here? And they're ready to beat Paul to death. And they're like, we're just having a conversation, right? And so they slowly let go and they, they take Paul and the mob still wants him. And now this tribune, the Roman officials are actually protecting Paul from uh, what, what, uh, what the, the Jews in this moment want to do, or these Messianic Jews want to do with them, this crowd. And it feels very like a lot of them don't even know. It feels very similar to the riot in Ephesus, which is important. But here's what happens in verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men um, of the Essenes uh, uh, out into the uh, wilderness? So Paul now is protected by this, this Roman official. And Paul goes, hey, can I say something to the crowd? And the guy goes, wait, what? You, you, you speak Greek? How do you speak Greek? Aren't, aren't you that crazy Egyptian? So Josephus talks about this, this Egyptian uh, leader who led 30,000 people into an uproar um, earlier, about two years earlier in Jerusalem. So aren't you this Egypt, crazy Egyptian? No, right? Paul's like, what are you talking about? That's, so, so he goes, that's exactly what Paul replies. Paul replies, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. No, no, I'm not an Egyptian. What are you talking about? So even they don't know. The crowd is confused. It's a mess, right? He says, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand uh, to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, okay? So this is what he says. So he gets the crowd. No, 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 I'm not the Egyptian. Let me, let me talk to the crowd. Okay, go ahead, talk to the crowd. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. So Paul's going to go, hey, let me just approach this. I'm one with you. Brothers, fathers, we're a family. I'm a Jew. Let me tell you my story real quick. So he hears all this. And when they had heard him, who uh, addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So he's not just this Egyptian. He knows their language, the Hebrew language. I am a Jew born in Tarsus. In Cilicia, gosh, I can never freaking pronounce that word, but brought up uh, in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, 
uh, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you to this day are to this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From, I, from them I receive letters to the brothers, and I journey towards Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul, being, being totally trying to torn apart by this mob, says, guys, listen. And he begins to lay out. I know what it is to be you. I'm a Jew. And I'm not just a Jew. If you can read the book of Galatians, he's a Jew of Jew. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was under like, like the, the, the king Jew. He was under the guy who like would taught the, the, the big lessons. I memorized the Old Testament. I was in. Matter of fact, it's so true that I was in. This whole way that, that I'm claiming right now, um, the, the, the problem that, that you saying you're being a part of it is your leaders over here, these Jewish leaders over here, they actually at one time sent me letters to go kill people of the religion that I'm now a part. So I was in, man. I was in. And then he goes on to tell his story. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, you can go back, read chapter 9 of Acts. Here's Paul. He's sent by those men with this letter. He's on the Damascus Road to go, uh, and the the word is literally obliterate Christianity, destroy uh, Christianity. And on his way, he gets knocked off his horse. He sees Jesus as he appears in the sky. These other guys who are with him can't see Jesus, but they hear Jesus. Like, what is going on? And Jesus goes, why are you persecuting me? What are you doing right now? And so he knocks him off his horse. Paul then is blind, but this guy named Ananias ends up meeting him and goes, hey, Paul, um, I was sent by Jesus, and, and I'm supposed to have you receive your sight. So now Paul's totally disoriented. There's dissonance between his Judaism and now understanding that Jesus actually is the Messiah. So they're hearing the story and they're going, okay, okay, so, so what's going on here? Now he goes on to continue to tell the story. And then after he's been a Christian for a while, Paul tells an account of what happens. Listen, it says, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Jesus, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, now listen, verse 21, here it is. Jesus says to me, go for, for uh, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So Paul's going, this is what happened. I was on Damascus Road. Jesus, then, then I'm a Christian, and, and I'm, I'm having this, this, he's used the word trance or this vision. Jesus is talking to me, and as he's talking to me, he says, go, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And the Hebrews at this moment are like, okay, okay, okay. And then as soon as he says that I am sent to the Gentiles, they lose their freaking minds. What? No, 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 no. They pick up dust. They're throwing it in the air. They're ripping their clothes. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. They, they, they even make declarations. This guy shouldn't even live. Kill this guy. Verse 23. And they were shouting and throwing their cloaks and flinging dust in the air. The, tri- the tribune ordered him to be brought to the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. So the, the tribune, the Romans want to know, let's find out what's really going on. Let's whip him until he tells us the truth to find out whether they were shouting against him, uh, why they're shouting against him like this. So the question, I want to stop and spend a good amount of time asking this question. In all of Paul's journeys, in him telling the story, here are these people who've heard, they're, they're Jews, who they're zealous for the law, but they've become believers. They're mixed in this crowd with Jews at the, still Jews at a cer- certain time. Why are they so upset? Why are they so upset 
when Paul makes the declaration, I'm supposed to go to the Gentiles. Like, this is crazy. What stirs them up? Now, immediately it feels like a race thing. Um, and and I, I'd love to have that conversation, but I don't think that's what this is. It's far more of this religious thing. Something is within them. When they hear that, they go, no, 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 no. We're Jews. They're Gentiles. But, but this is goofy because no Jew would go, well, Gentiles aren't welcome. That, that's not the case at all. Matter of fact, let me read some commentators uh, uh, to you. Normally I don't share these, but I want you to hear. I'll read three of them. And I have, in, at least what I studied, seven different commentators said the same thing, why the Jews are upset. And over and over, let me just read three of them. Listen, you'll hear the same language. This is from John Stott. It was at this point that Paul was interrupted by the crowd who found their voices again loudly and demanded his death. As you can see in verse 22, it is important to understand why in their eyes, proselytism, which is making uh, Gentiles into Jews was fine, but evangelism making Gentiles into Christians without first making them Jews was an abomination. It was the equivalent to saying that, that Jews and Gentiles were equal for they were both needed to come to God through uh, Christ and, uh, and that on identical terms. Listen to John MacArthur. Uh, now they were angry because he had, uh, he made pros- I'm sorry. Now, they weren't angry because he made proselytes. Again, Gentiles into Jews. Uh, They themselves made proselytes. They were angry because he offered equality to the Gentiles apart from Judaism. They couldn't tolerate it. They couldn't stand it. Uh, Listen to uh, a guy named Richard Longnecker. In effect, uh, Paul was saying that Gentiles can be approached directly with God's message of salvation without first being related to the nation and its institutions. This was the same to placing Jews and Gentiles on equal footing before God. This, for Judaism, was the height of apostasy indeed. So they're hearing what Paul's saying, and they don't like it. Now, now let's stop real quick. Let's go back in our mind, because there's something to be noticed here. Here's a stirring There's a stirring of a riot, this mob, people are upset, so upset they don't even know exactly why or what or who Paul is and what he's all about. That sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Like if you were with us a couple weeks, that sounds just like it was at a point where Paul and Barnabas, they they roll into a city. Do you remember this? Right? And they they, they tell all the Athenians, right? And so they're super upset. And then we remember the Ephesians as they go in there, you're you're worshiping the wrong kind of God and their socioeconomic classes are beginning to break down. And it it sounds really weird to, to say that, but as Paul goes into a city and calls out sin, he calls out idols He tells pagans, you're following the wrong God. There's the same response to the righteous man, to self-righteous proclamation, to say, no, no, I'm righteous because I do this. It seems odd that the gospel offends the the, the legalists in the same way that it offends the person who's licentious. I don't think that's on accident. I think Luke is painting a picture here in the same way that somebody gets upset when they're sinning. No, you can't. Yes, you're following Jesus now, and there's no more sleeping with your girlfriend like that. It's not okay. That office flirt, the stealing of the money, you getting angry, and those things we've got to work out. Well, wait a minute. Who are you to tell me how to live? Is the same response as, hey, listen, your church attendance ain't getting you to heaven, bro. I, like, it's just not going to work. Well, wait a minute. I, do the, I don't watch rated R movies. And we can go down this path over and over. I, I don't listen to that music. Cool. That the same reaction from both. The gospel somehow is offending the Jews in this way. They're upset because God is doing what he wants to do. Now, here's what's crazy. Um, If we were to to define religion, so I went to the most trusted source in all of the world that we can trust when it comes to definitions, which is Wikipedia, of course. (laughs) 
It says this. This is how Wikipedia defines religion. Religion is any cultural system of designated behaviors, practices, worldviews, texts, sanctifies places, ethics, or organizations that relate humanity to the supernatural or transcendental. So religion by its nature, just again, is things like texts, sanctified places, ethics, organizations that connect you with God or the transcendental. Maybe you don't believe there's a God, but some kind of force. So religion by nature are things that get you or help get you to the Lord. What's crazy ironic about this is for the Jews, it's actually their religion, their ethics, their places, all the processes that they have that are keeping them from God. Now, that's, that's not an accident because what's going on within the, the Jew here is they are, let's go back, read it, verse uh, 22 of chapter 21. You can see it there. Um, you see, brothers, how many, this is James telling Paul, how many thousands there are among the Jews for those who have believed. A bunch of Jews have come to Jesus Christ, but hear this. They are zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, and that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. here's the issue. I don't think anyone in this room is going, no, no one can come to Jesus Christ. I don't think anyone is saying that. And I think for the, for the Jews in this moment, they are saying that they don't like what's going on. They're losing control. Well, I have this way to get to God and all these people are coming to God. and, And you're saying, I don't have to do it like this. And this, this becomes a tension within them. Now, though, I don't think we're doing that. The repercussions of why they don't like the Gentiles coming to the faith the way that they are. I think there are two things that are clearly evident within our culture. When I say our culture, our Christian culture, and even within Redemption Peoria, and specifically deep within our heart, the propensity of our heart is to do this. The first thing is the Jew, or the, the, the people are upset that these Gentiles, because they're losing control, man. They're losing control. God is working in ways that they don't like. And, and, and the way this becomes so problematic because the way they're viewing God is this, as if they're the pursuer. They're the ones that as long as they live out the ethics, as long as they go to the temple, that God is far away and I'm pursuing him. That's how they're viewing this religion in this moment. They, they know the Gentiles can't come. They're frustrated the Gentiles can't come. They're looking at Gentiles can't come because they're not doing what I'm doing. I'm working hard to get there. You're in the driver's seat in that moment. You're pursuing God. Hear me. That is not biblical. You're not the pursuer in the Bible. God's the pursuer. Take a a very tangible example. If I say, all right, Corbin, I'm going to go swimming, buddy. You can come out and swim with me um, when your room is clean. Now, any parent, you would go, well, that's fair. You're not going to get to go have fun unless you, I'll be out there. I want to hang out, throw you around. It's going to be, it's going to be great. But until your room is clean, that, that sounds great. Now, I want you to take that idea, which is simple, because Corbin knows I love him. But now I go, hey, Corbin, I'll be out on the deck. Um, I'm going to be swimming. And um, I, I think I love you. And I, and I love you as long as you get your room clean. Uh, you know, forget me going out into the deck or the pool. Here's the deal, Corbin. Um, until you get your room clean, we won't talk about my love for you. We'll figure it out as we go. And this is for the Jews, or at least these Jews specifically. We're going to get into how there's nuances to this. That we've taken that idea of, as long as I do this, then I get to do that. And in Christianity, there are situations. Your sin is not okay. You should not be pursuing it. But it's based on the fact that you are already loved. And, and, and they're flipping this around. They're going, as long as I, as long as you, as long as they, then they can have him. This is not the Bible. 
He is not, and listen, you've got to get this. This is religiosity. This, this is not scripture. And hear me, it's not even the Old Testament. Because I think your propensity might be to go, well, in the Old Testament, it was God pursues the people who, is, who follow the law. That's just not the case. That's just not true at all. Let, let me, so um, I, my devotional time yesterday, I tried to keep my devotional time away from sermon prep, but it was too good not to share. I was reading in the book of Hosea yesterday morning uh, in chapter 11. I want you to listen to how God is the pursuer. Listen to this. In uh, Hosea chapter 11, it says this. uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 and 8 and 9. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I think it's worth noticing. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Verse four, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bonds of or the, the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke of their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. So just stop real quick. Listen to how God is describing his people. I I've been there before you wanted anything to do with me. I was bending down, taking care of you. Like you should be some of your story. You should be dead, but, but I kept you alive. Some of you should be a mess right now, but I changed you. I was there. You didn't come out. You weren't strolling along and go, Jesus, that sounds like a great idea. No, no, no. A story. Listen, I've yet to hear one story. One story of someone coming to faith going, yeah, I just, I thought through it and I, I really decided that, uh, yeah, this was a good idea. No, it's like coming out of nowhere. It's like, I just felt him. I just knew I saw the world differently over and over and over again. Even in the realms of apologetics, you're going, yeah, I heard this, but it was the spirit that ultimately gave me the faith. God pursued you. And this is what he's saying in Hosea, that I was there taking care of them before they even knew I was taking care of them. When they forgot me and ran, I was there. When they didn't want anything to do with me, I was there. They weren't pursuing me. I was pursuing them. Now, listen, even in that relationship, in this book of Hosea, listen to what he says in verses eight and nine. How can I give up on you? And how can I give up, uh, give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like uh, Adma? How can I treat you like Zebeom? My heart recoils within me. Uh, just stop real quick. Just, just listen. Forget the cities. I know that the cities are lost. We don't have time to explain all this. Just listen to God going, you're my people, Israel. Like, imagine you're a dad to a son and he like goes and goes and like, why are you choosing that path? He's a teenager. He's going down this path. He's 18 years. He's going down this path and he's going. Not one moment. You ask any parent who loves their kids dearly. Are you ever going, well, I've given up on them. Now, maybe there are moments where you go and let them experience the world. And it's really difficult. But, but I love how Eugene Peterson in the message translates when when, uh, the ESV says my heart recoils within me. Um, I think Eugene Peterson says it really well. My insides churn in protest. I hate it. You're not pursuing me. I'm pursuing you. And I hate that you're running from me. This, this is not an isolated account either. Um, but continuing on in this, my compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not destroy Ephraim. And I, uh, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. Over and over and over God is the pursuer to the point that the people could not fulfill the law. So he sends his son to do it. Now, it's not that Jesus just walked out the tangible nature of what the law is. Hear me. The law 
could not get us there. The doing things could not get us there. So he came to us. That's crazy. I've given you something to pursue, but it's falling short. You, even if you get it all right, your heart is wrong in places. Hear me. That's, I'm coming to you. Forget this whole thing. Even in that idea, according to Romans 8, Jesus fulfilled. He completed where the law could not succeed. They have forgotten this. And, and I, think it's, I think it's worth noting because it's, it's there. It's on the tip of our heart that we want to. We want to earn. We want to get there. Hear me. The moments you're, you think you're the pursuer, you're forgetting the gospel. You're forgetting the gospel. You forgot that Jesus came. And, and this is so true for the fact that you are called a Protestant. Um, 2017 is the 500 year, uh, year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. If you don't know what that is, 500 years ago, um, Christians essentially, as we know, define as Christianity, broke off from, the Protestants broke off from the Catholic tradition. Now, the mess that was the Catholic tradition is not the mess that is, is or it's not a mess now. Um, it's not the same at, at all. But at that time, there's a guy, Luther, who's essentially the key to all of this. He's struggling. So Luther's a guy who was set to be a lawyer. There's a lightning storm, lightning strike all around. He prays to St. Anna and says, hey, Anna, if you save me, I'll become a monk. And he saves, and Anna, or we'll say God saves him, um, uh, saves him. And so he ends up becoming a monk. And um, he's so all in, trying to understand understand who God is and how to be close, that he, he, he finds himself whip, uh, uh, whipping himself constantly, uh, weeping over and over and over again. He says, if anybody can, could have been saved by monkery, it would have been me. Like, if, if anybody could pursue, like, you think you're going hard, the dude's whipping himself. He's not eating for weeks at a time. He's trying to be all in, right? And if that was the way, Luther would have found it, but he doesn't. He doesn't find peace. And so, at one point, he's reading the book of Romans, and he's really struggling with the just shall live by faith, if you're familiar with Romans 1 through 3. He's really struggling with this idea. And so eventually the Holy Spirit wakes him up and reminds him, you're not the pursuer. Listen to what he says. I think it's um, really good. So this is how Luther describes himself. At last, again, I don't have it. I apologize. At last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I was, uh, were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. Luther breaks off from what is taking place within Catholicism at that time because the pursuit of doing things was the name of the game. And he's going, we forgot the Bible. The Bible actually tells us otherwise. So what's happening with the Jews in this moment is they're super frustrated because they've lost control. That somehow, out of nowhere, the way they pursue God, the way they feel like it's the right way, they're zealous for the law, they have their own traditions, those don't matter anymore in light of Jesus. Now maybe they're important once you know you're loved. Because once you know you're loved, man, I hope Corbin knows when I tell him to clean his room, it's not depending on whether or not I love him. He knows I love him. I'm ready to play with him in the pool. So go clean your room. You know I love you. This is why we don't watch those things. You, you know I love you, and that's why we don't talk like that. Think about it. But the Jews have forgotten that. They're frustrated. They're tearing their clothes. They're upset because somehow Gentiles are coming in a way that they don't like. Let us beware of that. Now, the second thing is this. The Jews have forgot their purpose altogether in this moment. 
So um, essentially, when you hear the law, you probably think of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, shalt not commit adultery. Well, from that point in Exodus chapter 20, there's 600 laws that they have to follow, not to mention all the circumcision laws that are going on, all of this. And so they're afraid that now uh, Paul is unearthing all these things that they're supposed to go to, they're supposed to do. And what we find is Exodus 20 is where this whole thing starts. They're looking to the law. But let me remind you, if you don't know this, what happens in Exodus chapter 19. The reason the law is given given to the Jews. This is the, the, the undergirding as to why you're to do all the ethics. This is why you're to continue to pursue, continue to do, continue to act. Listen to this. In Acts, or in, sorry, in Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, listen to this. The Lord called to him, Moses, out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen What I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, stop. So before we get to the law, man, I'm about to have Moses roll down with the commandments. Before we get to the shoulds, the woulds, the have-tos, before we get to any of that, let's just remember where we are. It wasn't you who parted the Red Sea. It was me. Let's remember, you were in slavery. You couldn't escape the Egyptians. That was me. Remember, my love brought you out of that turmoil. My love got you where we are now. This whole thing starts with me pursuing you. Remember that. And then he goes on in remembering that. Now, therefore, because that's true, because God came to us first, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all the peoples. For the earth is mine, and you shall be, my, uh, be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, which we will talk about next week. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel, as he tells Moses. So do you hear what he says? Because I did something, because I brought you out on eagle's wings, because I saved you, now, therefore, I'm giving you this law, but don't let it in there. Did did you catch what he said? Listen again. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments. Okay. So I did this. So if you will do this, because I did this, there's actually something that's going to happen. So obedience isn't the end game. You struggling with fighting uh, pornography, fighting greed, fighting anger, whatever it is, you continue to go back and forth. That's not the name of the game. The reason you're fighting those things is because God loves you, but it comes with the responsibility, a purpose. And the purpose is, hear it, again, Exodus 19, shout my voice and keep my commandment, uh, uh, my covenant. You shall be my treasured possessions among all peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So I saved you, And I'm giving you these things to walk out so that people will see that I saved you. The promise isn't just for you. The promise is for the Gentiles. I saved you to get to them. I'm using you. This isn't just that you're saved. Keep it it chill. This is all about you. Hear me. That's not what it is. Your salvation, God choosing you, God coming to you, acting on you first, comes with the responsibility and this is what we, we see the Jews forgetting. They're beating their chests. They're angry that God is coming to the Gentiles. Well, guess what, man? He's pursuing them, but he wanted to use you to do it. He's moving on them, doing some crazy things, and he wanted to use you to do it. You just forgot that. Um, I, I quoted the part of uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message. It's a translation. I would, not, I would say it's not a translation, but it's, it's, a, it's a Bible of some kind. Um, I love Eugene Peterson, by the way. Um, But I love how he translates Amos. 
Because um, the Jews, before we ever get to Acts 21 and 22, um, this is what's happening with them. They they are becoming... uh, self-introspective to a sinful degree. They're not caring about justice around them. They're not caring about the Gentiles. They're not caring about the people around them that are suffering. And so God makes a declaration in Amos 4 about all that they're doing. And I think it's worth reading. Um, This again is in the message. So listen to to what he says. And again, I actually like that. I don't have it on the screen here because I want you just to listen to what God says to the people of Israel because I think there are parts of it that can echo within our own heart. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion, uh, with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes and your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you want to know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That is what I want. That's all I've ever wanted. So he makes this declaration. You continue to bring me offerings. You continue to sacrifice. Yes, you're avoiding sin. But man, there's an end game to this. It doesn't end on you. It comes with the responsibility. You've forgotten that. The way that this chapter ends is Paul um, getting ready to be flogged. He looks over to the man who's about to flog him and says, are you you about to flog me? I'm a Roman citizen. And uh, he goes, you're a Roman citizen. He brings over his, his boss and goes, this dude's a Roman citizen. He says, did you, how'd you get this Roman citizen? I, I was born into it. Why, the guy's like, why well, purchase mine? And Paul's like, well, I was born a Roman citizen. Now it's clear, he knows, and Paul knows, it's against the law to flog, to whip a Roman citizen. That's not how it goes. And it, it's ironic that in this moment, um, Rome saves Paul from Jerusalem. <laughs> Crazy. But, but this trajectory is what's going to take us the, the rest of the book of Acts. We're going to follow Paul um, appealing to higher courts because he's a Roman citizen. Now, as we get into that, what I don't want us to forget is where this started. What starts this trajectory, what starts Paul continuing to be in prison for basically uh, under guard the rest of the book of Acts, it starts with men and women who don't like what God is doing because it's not in the, the shackles in which they think it should be happening. They don't have control. And may we let that control go, know that God is pursuing us and he's pursuing us to pursue others. Let's be grateful for that, right? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Grateful for the fact that we are reminded that, uh, Jesus, you pursue us first in that, um, that there are, there are men and women who are literally on this earth that, that, um, we're following you with zeal and we're following you with um, such effort, but, but miss the fact that you are the pursuer and we are only responding to your pursuit. And then furthermore, that, that second piece so huge for us that you have called us to continue to pursue, to continue to follow because people, the outside world is watching that we are a priest. We are going to people on your behalf that you have given us a mission to reconcile the world to yourself, that your kingdom would come. Let us not forget that. Thank you for a reminder in all of this passage. We really truly are grateful. We love you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.